What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Perfectly Blended Podcast. Today's episode is Unbreakable Bonds, Rising Above Trauma and Addiction. You better hold on to your socks. When's that coming up? <laughs> right now. Thank you so much for joining us on the Perfectly Blended Podcast. This podcast is for blended families, for couples that want to strengthen their marriage and want a brighter future. Perfectly Blended exists to break the stigma of divorce, drop the shame and guilt holding you back, and equip marriages to thrive instead of just survive. We believe all that is possible in this life is based on the power of Jesus Christ and his ability to restore us fully. Let's dive in. What is up, everybody? What is up? What is up? Happy Tuesday. We're happy that you are joining us. I do have a warning, right? We do have a warning with this episode. We would like to be socially conscious to let you know that if there's any kids in the area or if certain things trigger you, today's episode is going to involve things that are going to talk about suicide, going to talk about uh, child abuse, sexual abuse, also going to talk about addiction. So if, if that's something that is not going to be appropriate for you or for those that are around you, we're going to ask you that you please do not watch this episode. It's not going to be explicit. It's not going to be foul language or any of that stuff, but it is going to talk about these key topics. So sensitive, sensitive. Yeah, that's a good word. Sensitive topic. It's so not G rated G. It is not rated G. It's probably PG 13 maybe. Or R. It's R. <laughs> no. it's, it's not R. Right. It's not it's not TVMA. <laughs> TVMA, TVMA 17 or whatever. And it's like, don't just pass by that. Don't even go there. So unbreakable bonds, right? Rising above trauma and addiction in your marriage. You know, the one thing that we have shared before on our podcast over the last few years is that, you know, Christy and I are recovering alcoholics. And, you know, Christy has talked briefly about some things that's happened in her childhood, but we've never actually dedicated a show talking specifically about it. And so much today that we know that, especially in second marriages, that you are bringing loads of baggage from your past, right? Well, even in regular secular marriages, first marriages, you are bringing baggage from your past. Mm -hmm. And how are you navigating that in your marriage? How are you working through those things in your marriage? So today we're kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of going to be a fun one, really, in related to the way that we're doing things a little different. So I'm actually going to interview Christy. So I have some questions that I'm going to ask her and um, she's super excited about it. No. <laughs> she actually told me she was nervous about it. I'm like, I'm not springing new stuff on you. You know all the answers. So <laughs> He was not... like, you know what I think we should do? I think we should. This is a couple of days ago. I think we should interview you yeah. on the podcast about your testimony. Yeah. And about how that applies to our marriage. Because it has been a major play. Yeah. Like major play into everything. It's My really... healing. Mm -hmm. So healing? if one of you or both of you are coming into your marriage with some major trauma, you know, from your past, it's, you really need to find the healing for yourself, you know, with God. So. Yeah. And which we're going to dive into all of that. Okay. We're going to dive into all that. So today we're really going to talk about Christy and her journey through life and about how she's been able to navigate along with her relationship with Christ and how it's impacted our marriage. And so we're praying that for God better. uses- <laughs> for the greatest but we're praying really that you get some value out of this you know do us a favor right now if you haven't had a chance yet maybe you can uh hit subscribe if you're on youtube or hit share if you're on facebook we would really 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 appreciate you guys doing that okay you ready yeah yes, i have to try to not look down here i've already of, read some of them too i so. know but i'm used to looking down and yeah, reading i'm doing so. this if you know what i'm doing I'm doing this right here because i like it. to look ahead I have to do like i'm a look aheader <laughs> 
<laughs> she is. You know, anytime I watch a movie, she's like got to like get online and like find the ending to it and look at it's it. It's not movies. Because she doesn't like the suspense. It's, it's mo- not movies. It's like sh- reality shows. Yeah. I like to know who wins. It's no fun. I'm like, don't tell me. Don't. And then I can watch the rest of the shows in with no stress because I already know who's going to win. So All right. Fine. Let's get going, right? Because we don't know how long this is going to last. Oh, that's true. We're going to try and be as... A conscious of time as we can, but we we're, no promises with that one, people. So you may have to listen to this one in a couple heats. All right. So you've experienced major trauma as a child. Yeah. Right. We know that. Uh, tell our viewers or our listeners a little bit about what happened to you. What is that trauma? So my dad was, he actually died um, at 59 from alcoholism. So my dad was physically abusive to my mom and me as a baby. And so my mom divorced him and married my stepdad. My stepdad was uh, physically abusive as well, but his dad, my stepdad was uh, sexually molested me. Your stepdad, your step grandpa, my step grandpa, my stepdad's dad is what I mean to say. My step grandpa um, sexually molested me and my little sister for, for years. And uh, I had come forward, you know, as the whistleblower mm-hmm. in the family when I was 16 to my mom, uh, my mom really didn't like me as a child. I don't want to say she didn't love me. I do believe deep down, you know, the majority of parents do love their children. I just don't think my mom really liked me. I reminded her too much of my dad who really hurt her. So my mom really wasn't a person in my life that could protect me or wanted to protect me. So I didn't have anyone growing up from my childhood that I felt it was so odd because I was actually thinking about this today. Like this is a kind of a sidebar, but I don't, I'm not the reacher outer. I'm not the friend that, you know, thinks about reaching out to people or thinks of reaching out to my mother-in-law or my sister-in-laws or I don't. And it's not because I don't care, but it's honestly because I didn't have that. I didn't have a mom that checked in on me. I didn't have a dad that checked in on me. So it was just innate in me that I just, don't think to reach out and talk to people about things that I'm struggling with. And my friends sometimes feel disconnected from me because of that. But so when it came to yeah. the sexual abuse, uh, how old were you? It started when I was like six or seven or six or seven. And so uh, like, tell us a little bit about that. Like what ha- like what was the situation on that? Um, I saw my step grandpa would take, uh, there's three granddaughters, but he would take each of us up North for a week at a time, two weeks at a time by ourselves. And so he really um, would ask us and ask us and ask us. So it wasn't like it was forced or anything. He would pester, pester, pester until we would give in. And then then he would say, you can't tell on me because you're giving me permission to do it. So um that I can't get in trouble, you're consenting, all of those. Like, he would actually prep us, and he'd give us money and tell us to tell our parents that, you know, for helping him chop wood around the house and things like that. So how old were you when it pretty much came to a stop? I would say I was 16. 16? So uh, I 15 or 16. I know I was 16 when I brought it forth to my mom because um, I found out that my little sister was six years younger than me, and I found out um, through her that it was being done to her too. And so I brought it up to my mom's attention. So I could Why don't you share with everybody a, maybe a little bit about that story about between the, the interaction between you and your sister. 
Oh, about how I found out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, back in the day, you know, you'd ride in the bed of a truck with the topper, you know, super safe, but that's what we did <laughs> back there. Some 80s, back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And so we were in the back of my stepdad's S10, you know, there was a topper on it. But we drove over to our grandparents' house, and they weren't home. And my little sister was like, I'm glad that, you know, grandpa's not home. I really don't like him. And I had done um, some research at school because I did plan on coming forward someday and saying, and my mom always, like, never believed anything that I had to say, like, ever about anything. And so I naturally, as a young kid, I remember being 9 and 10 years old, going to the school library and looking up, like, about being molested and, you know, what questions you should ask kids, what you shouldn't ask kids. So I do think it was God preparing me for that moment because I knew not to ask her, does he touch you in ways that you don't like? Because to a little kid touching them on the shoulder, they could associate that with. So I did say, you know, tell me why I don't, I don't like him either. And I would like to know why you don't like him. And so she just said, well, you know, the money that he gives us for, and he tells us to tell mom and dad that it's for chopping wood. It's not for chopping wood. And that was the extent of that. Her and I have had conversations about it since then, um, as adults, but I did come forward to my mom and tell her that he was, he had been molesting me and he was molesting my how, sister. How, how did that go? Tell, tell everybody a little bit about that briefly about how that exchange went with your mother when you first decided to say something to her. So my mom and I do want to preface this, that my mom and I didn't have a good relationship to begin with. She really encouraged my stepdad to, you know, ab like physically abuse me and things. She just really didn't like me. So I had already known that she probably wasn't going to believe me. It was a huge weight on my shoulders to come forward because I already knew probably what I was getting into. But I was pretty tough by then. I was pretty angry and um, was prepared for anything. So when I brought it forward to my mom uh, and told her she was in the kitchen, she was cooking and um, she, I was in the living room so I could see her, you know, from the side and she really didn't even stop stirring. She just said, I figured he was like that. I've brought it up to Jim before and he um, would just get upset. So I just dropped it. And I was like, wow. Um, and then I would just remember a couple minutes later, she went outside to tell um, my stepdad about it. And then the next thing you know, I was getting called out at 15 or 16 years old, being berated with, um, if it's true, you need to describe everything to me. Um, Physically. Prove, yeah. Prove to me yeah. that, you know, uh, it was just very demeaning. Uh, you already feel dirty, you know, um, so it was a very, it's a rough time. And I ended up, um, not being wanted there, you know, to live there anymore. And so, uh, I ended up moving in with my dad, which wasn't much better, not with sexual abuse, but with physical, he was, you know, an alcoholic. So, yeah. And so not only did you have uh, sexual abuse from your step grandfather, but you also were physically abused by your step father. Yeah. Dad, so Jim. it, yes. So it was, um, a lot when I was younger, like when him and my mom first got together, like six or seven, he, um, dragged me around by my hair a few times, slammed me up against walls. Um, we were in Pennsylvania one time and he slapped my mouth and a tooth fell out. Um, but there was up until the age of 16, I, I was never more scared of a human, not even my dad. Like he would come 
at me in anger um, and I would pee my pants. It was, I was very, very afraid of him. I don't know why um, up until that point. So my whole childhood, my whole childhood with my dad, my dad, I, I would be absolutely terrified coming back from my dad's house from every other weekend. I literally like my butt would start tingling like in anticipation that I was going to get, you know, spanked with uh, a belt or, you know, a piece of wood or something like that because of I don't know what happened during the weekend while I was gone. And I don't know what my little sister and I'm not saying she was doing anything wrong. She was a little kid. I'm not saying she didn't come forward and say like, oh, Christy, when she babysat me, you know, ignored me or, you know, I didn't know what was talked about. And mm. a lot of times on my way back home from my dad's uh, going, getting to drop back off, I would be so stressed out, so scared because I knew I'd be walking back into a house where I was just going to get a spanked or beat or grounded for 75,000 weeks or something, you know. So you didn't have anybody really to help keep you or make you feel safe. No. In your environment of your mom's house no. with your stepdad or in the house with your step grandpa. Right. Or in the house of your father. So when I was growing up with my dad every other weekend, my dad was not abusive at all. Okay. So, so I didn't, my mom, I actually harbored some um, hatred towards my mom or some ill will towards my mom growing up because my mom would always be talking bad about my dad, like how he beat her and how he, um, you know, is just awful. And it just told me all these awful stories about him. What, what I saw as a kid, what I saw when I would go over there every other weekend, I didn't see that. You know, I saw that my dad had a drinking problem. He'd take me to the Eagles club with him. We'd be hanging out all the time, but my dad didn't cuss around me. He, um, I could see, I would see him break up fights, you know, at bar, at but he didn't Eagles physically club. hurt you, but he didn't physically hurt me. Yeah. So when I went to move in with him, I knew my dad wanted me to move in with him because he really wanted to stop paying child support. <laughs> sure. So I knew that. Yeah. And so, um, he was on his, third marriage at the time that I moved in with him when I was 16. And then that's when I experienced not me at first, but that's when I experienced his third wife ended up divorcing him because they were got into physical, physical altercations where yeah. the cops would get called and things like that. And True. I would just stay in my room. And then he got a divorce and married his fourth wife. But it wasn't until I moved in with him. And gotcha. he only tried that with me a couple of times. By then I was really angry. And you're much and, older by and then. I was 16. older. Yeah. yeah. And I was older. I was 16, 17. Yeah. Um, he wasn't home a lot because he'd have a girlfriend, things like that. But he would try choking me. He wasn't as, as violent, I would say. Um, but he would try like the, like choke you, slam you up against the wall by yeah. your throat type of thing. Sure. Gain control over yes. and yeah. put you in your place. So tell everybody a little bit about like, what ways did you use? I know you've shared before about the cutting things of that nature, but like what, uh, what ways, including that have you used to kind of cope with that type of abuse, you know, emotional abuse, spiritual yeah. abuse, really, honestly, your mom is a proclaimed Christian and you know, yeah, it was just things. used as a weapon. Like memorizing scripture and stuff in yeah. our house was just used as punishment. So, um, what, what, how did you cope with this? I was, I actually became, I became very outspoken. I became very, um, loud about 
like I didn't, I told the truth all the time, even when it hurt. And like, almost to, aggressively. Almost aggressively. Yeah. And because um, I'm like, people aren't going to believe me anyway. So even the worst things that I'm doing to get in trouble, I might as well just tell the truth because it doesn't matter, you know, if I'm lying or not lying. Yeah. But I only lived with my dad for six months. So the last night I was there, you know, I call, I ran away, called the police, and I ended up moving in with his parents, my grandparents. <laughs> and when I was still 16 at the time, um, so all of this happened. I, my grandparents had a mother-in-law suite that was built off the back of their garage of their house. And that's where I was able to move into. And so I ended up, uh, I was very angry. I, I, I don't know how else I coped other than, um, I kind of just went into my own head. I didn't really talk to anyone about anything at all. But I, I tried to overdose on pills when I lived with my grandparents. I ended up go, taking a bunch of pills over into the apartment I was staying in at the time. And just, um, I honestly, truly felt, I can still remember how that felt. And at that time, it was true. So that's why I like to talk to people about that want to commit suicide. Because at the time, the way that I felt was true. There, there wasn't anyone in the world that truly cared whether or not I was there. They, they didn't truly um, want to look out for me. I don't, I didn't have anybody. And at that time, that was true. And so I felt like there's no reason, none, um, for me to go on living or go on being here. So I really was praying to God. I believed, you know, in God and I was really praying and I was sobbing. I was on the floor, rocking back and forth, putting pills and pills and pills in my mouth and um, drinking them down and just saying, please don't let me wake up. Please don't let me wake up. And then I went to sleep and I woke up and I was super, something in me changed that morning that I woke up. I was like, okay, I hate the world and I hate everybody in it. And that's it. And it was like, I was giving the middle finger to God at that point. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. like you won't take me either. So screw this place, screw everybody in it. And, um, screw myself even. So I really started, um, self-harming, you know, after that to cope. Uh, I really, for me, it was just really like, I deserved it. It was kind of a release. You don't want cutting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just things like that. But I really became an angry, 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 rage, enraged, full person. After that, I mean, for for years, I ended up at 18. I was dating a guy and he basically was like, you're, you're a freaking psycho. Like, you really need to go talk to a psychiatrist. And so that was the first time anybody had even mentioned that to me. I didn't even think about it um, before. And so I started seeing a psychiatrist and I did get diagnosed at the time with manic depressive bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. So um, I was put on lots of antidepressants and Xanax and, you know, combinations of pills, you know, to cope after that too. When did, uh, you know, you, okay. So you got from there, <laughs> you ended up, uh, getting married. What age did you get married? 21, 21. And so then, uh, you went on to have a couple kids, right? Garrett and Graydon. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you started finding alcohol. When did alcohol really become a problem? Would you say? So I'd like to say that it didn't become a problem until I was like 25 or 26, but I could see the signs of it now that it was going to be a problem now knowing where I'm at in my life. Because when I was 
had moved in with my grandparents when I turned 18, graduated high school, I always was trying to rekindle that relationship with my dad. I was always trying to go back and then a big blow up would happen or something would happen. And then we weren't talking again or weren't speaking. And my dad and I were a lot alike, but my dad was an alcoholic too. So I started going and hanging out with him at 18, 19 years old, sure. even when I had other friends before I was 21. And mm. I would be going out with my dad and his friends and mm. I would get served because I was with a bunch of grown men that vouched for me. Sure. Um, and so I was really drinking a lot at that time. And then I kind of, but not, kind, you wouldn't say you had a problem. Then. No, yeah. I, but that's how I think it started. You know, I really yeah. started loving it. But when I got married to my ex-husband, my ex-husband really liked to go out on the weekends. He liked to go out to, um, a local bar in the town that he grew up in. And that was his thing. Like he would go there, he'd meet all the, his friends. And it was just like one of them hole in the wall bars. And yeah. I didn't want to be that person. I had never wanted to be that person. I didn't like it. But over time, we, I would be drinking. But I didn't care. I worked all the time until I had my first kid. Yeah. And I was 23 when I had my first kid. And then I'm like, I'm not drinking around the kids. I'm not drinking as long mm -hmm. as they're here. And so then I had my second son a week before I turned 25. So technically I was 24. And then I turned 25 and I'm still like, no, they're a baby. You know, I'm not going to drink around them. Uh, but then about 26, you know, my ex and I separated and I moved in with my grandparents and my grandma watched my kids. It was like built in babysitters. I was separated. Yeah. I was just, you know, still a very angry. Let's not forget very enraged, angry person that was bitter at the world and life. And I, I would go out by myself and meet people at the bar and go to Applebee's even and belly up to the bar and drink, drink my, and then meet people that they were there. And that's where I really think it became a problem. What, started what, going down. What did alcohol do for you? I did not. Um, I wasn't angry anymore. I wasn't mad. I would literally like start getting buzzed and be like, what am I so mad for? You know, I'm alive and I have a job and my kids are healthy. Yeah. You know, you start going through all the things like my yeah. life is great. Like, why am I so upset? Like, why can't I feel like this all the time? You know, type of thing. What was the reality, though? I was miserable and I was unhappy and I was broken yeah. and I needed to learn how to cope with um, emotions and heal, like accept things as they are, accept the things I cannot change and change the things I can. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I can't change my past. And, you know, I had to offer forgiveness. I had to learn to offer forgiveness to the people that hurt me. They were all, um, broken people too. You know, I, I do feel like just, especially, especially my mom. I mean, my mom didn't physically abuse me, but my mom, I think really set the tone for me as a female in my life and what to expect. And, um, really is a broken human and has never gotten help to this day yeah. and will really proclaim to say, I'm a Christian. I do this. I do that. But she, she's not healed. She's not, um, she doesn't know how to cope or deal every relationship in the world that you have a, any valuable relationship that you have, you're going to have conflict and you're going to have to learn how to work through those emotions together. You're going to have to learn how to offer forgiveness for one another mm -hmm. and um, not, not maliciously try to ruin the other person's life. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like that there's a line that gets crossed and sometimes you have to not try to reconcile anymore with, with those types of individuals. But I do have a for forgiveness for everybody because like my step grandpa, 
he was, I don't know what happened to him as a small child. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. That's what we say. Yeah. But I'm assuming he had a rough childhood growing up. Sure. You know, and if you haven't watched the movie The Shack, I would encourage you to watch that movie because that was also eye-opening to me. My step-grandfather, my stepdad, my, my dad, they're also God's children. God created them and they had their own stories that they had to walk through and, and deal with. And, um, and I think it's our job when we become adults to get the healing that we need, find the healing we need and work through that with God. So how did alcohol impact your life, you, you internally, your life, as you really started to kind of sink into it? Like, how did it impact you? In what ways did it impact you? Alcohol takes over everything. So I had them big 64-ounce um, Speedway cups that you could get from Speedway. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have that filled with beer um, at my little kid's t-ball game where alcohol is not allowed, right? So I'd fill it up in there so I could drink while I was there. Um, it consumed me to the point to where I was drinking every day. That's all I cared about is to drink. I started... Um, I drank and drove a lot. I'm embarrassed to say sometimes with my kids in the car, I'm embarrassed to say. Mm. And, um, I had gotten stopped many times by police officers, um, drunk. I got one time rolled my car sideways into a ditch with my little sister in the car that was 10 years younger than me. So she, I was like 26 or 27. So she had to be 16 or 17, a different little sister. Um, 16 or 17 at the time. And, um, we had to call a tow truck and a cop showed up. The tow truck showed up. I was drunk, like should not have been driving. And I, they didn't suspect, or they just didn't care enough to suspect, um, and got let go and kept being told like, you need to not do this. It would ruin your life. All of these things. And finally, one night I had went out by myself, met people at an Applebee's, girls and they were like we're going to a bar down the street like across town I got in their car not even knowing who these girls were went across town already drunk got more drunk they left me why would they wait for me I don't even remember splitting up for them or whatever mm-hmm. came across a, a person I used to go to high school I hadn't seen within a while he drove me back to my car across town got in my car and then tried to drive another 30 minutes north and was almost back to my grandparents house and I got um, I decided to go get Taco Bell and passed the road and got pulled over and I got taken to jail and I uh, woke up and after being passed out, you know, and woke up and, um, had to have a court date, got a lawyer the night before my court date for drinking and driving. I was out drinking and driving and was like obliterated drunk. Uh, was had a brand new envoy, drove over one of them stop signs in the Meyer parking lot that has the big cement things mm-hmm. and dragged it along under my Ruined car. car. Ruined my car. So I had to call my lawyer the next day. I was trying to get there. My car overheated, brand new. And I called him and I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with it. And he had to come pick me up from my car. And he's like, yeah, I've heard that's a problem with them, with them envoys doing that, <laughs> which I knew was wrong, you know, um, got off. You know, you you have to pay a fine. You have to do all that. But I didn't have to serve any, like, community service or, or jail, jail time, time, you know, which I got really lucky. Had to pay my lawyer, you know, apparently and all this stuff. But continued to drink and drive. Um, uh, my ex and I separated. Mm-hmm. And I was still drinking and driving a lot. Had um, lost a lot of the vehicles and stuff that I had due to, um, what do you call it, repos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Went and paid cash for a Cavalier or whatever. Like an old Cavalier. 
was drinking and driving home mm-hmm. and the bar that I was at was literally right down from my apartment. You and I were talking at that time mm-hmm. and, uh, it was snowy out. It was winter. And I, you know, told my grandparents I fell asleep at the wheel, but I passed out, uh, hit a snowbank and slammed into a telephone pole. And I should have been dead. Like if you would have seen that car and, uh, flood the scene, flood the scene, had to go back and see my car like riddled with open beer cans, bottles, everything in the car. Sure. So, um, I was not learning my lesson. I wasn't learning my lesson. So what led to sobriety? Like what? What happened in your life that really was something that you felt like it was now time to make a change? My life was surrounded by, I had surrounded my life with people and friends that um, smoked a lot of pot, you know, did yeah. a lot of drugs or drank a lot of alcohol. So when I decided to um, separate from my ex-husband and divorce him, I still liked drinking a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But then you and I had started talking um, and I didn't know it at the time, but you were a recovering alcoholic. And um, by the time I went to move in with you, you, I realized you had told me like, I don't just not drink, like I'm a recovering alcoholic and alcohol wasn't allowed in your house. So I started to have to hide it. Yeah. And then that's when I realized that I did have a, like I I was like, oh my gosh, I have to stop and get a couple, you know, tall boys before I go back to your house, smoke a couple cigarettes, you know, yep. and um, get to, the, it was my house too at the time, but your house and try to make it through the night. If I would look for any reason, it seemed like for us to fight so I could leave and I could go to the bar or go to a friend's house and drink. So that's when I really realized that I had a problem because I was, I had to be honest with myself. I was constantly looking for alcohol. Yeah. Constantly. Because I just didn't want to feel. I was sick of feeling. I was sick of caring. So where did the decision come from? Uh, I woke up at a friend's house. You and I had gotten in a fight. Uh, I woke up at a friend's house and I was supposed to go get my nails done um, to get my nails filled. And I really felt for the first time, so part of the story that I didn't talk about, which a lot of people don't know, but I really prayed a lot. I remember from nine years old is the earliest memory I have of it. Um, is praying for God. Why don't you send me one person that will love me for me? Like, Mm -hmm. why can't I have just one? And I had prayed and prayed. And then over the years, it kind of died down. And then all of a sudden, I would say at least once a year, all of a sudden I'd be like, I've been asking you for so long. And I just don't understand why you could just abandon me down here when you were supposed to love me Mm -hmm. and not give me one person. I don't even have a parent that will love me. I was so angry. And so the first time I woke up and, um, it was a feeling that I've never experienced before. I felt like you were meant to be in my life and I was going to lose you. I didn't like it. Okay. I didn't like caring about that. You know, I didn't like the fact that I was worried that I was going to lose a person. I had groomed myself and been seriously okay with pushing people away Um, because I knew that they were going to hurt me anyway, or cutting people out of my life and being absolutely fine with it. Sure. I never, I don't know if anybody could understand unless you've been in that situation. Like I truly had never been worried or scared about losing anyone out of my life. And I think that came from not really having parents or people in your life at a small, as a small child that cared for you to show you that they would never leave you. So I never had to care in, Um, I really had decided like, 
I really felt God was saying it's time for me to quit drinking. It was a hard decision for me to make because I didn't want to admit, you know, my flesh wanted to say, you should be able to drink if you want to drink. But I had to be honest and say, I have a serious problem and I'm going to lose the first person in my life that I care about losing. I had to come to terms with that. Yeah. And I had to come to you and say, I'm sorry, which is not something I'm and grovel is what I felt, um, which I was not comfortable doing, but you had already earned that by, you never gave me a hard time about drinking. You yeah. never tried to change me. You just let me know you have better for yourself. These are my boundaries. Yep. In mind and drinking wasn't part of that, you know, and it couldn't be a part of it. And so that was a life altering moment for me. Uh, and I decided that I wasn't, I wasn't a drinker anymore. I wasn't going to drink. So abuse, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. attempted suicide, alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. What did you do to, to turn all of that around? What is it that, that you made a decision on to sober up? That's just the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. just getting clear minded is one thing, but Mm -hmm. what turned all of that around for you to put yourself on a growth path? So there's so many things, uh, so many little things that are really hard. So I had to first quit drinking and then start to learn because I, what we didn't talk about is I solved a lot of things with physical violence. Mm -hmm. So I was a very violent person. I wasn't scared to physically attack people that, um, in the bars, uh, my ex-husband, you know, it was very, he never laid hands on me, but I, oh, I was very violent person and, uh, it was just rage that was in me. So I really had to learn the fact that to accept the things I cannot change and change the things I can. (laughs) So like there's the people out there in the world that have feelings or perceptions about stuff, they're allowed to have those feelings Mm -hmm. and I'm allowed to have my feelings. So I had to validate myself Mm -hmm. and say, I'm allowed to be upset about what happened to me. I've been really trying not to cry this whole time. So he can probably tell, but I really had to give myself permission to (laughs) be upset. No, you know, yeah. To mourn that mourn it. Yeah. But then have love come out of it, you know, and um, allow God in, allow him to change me and um, offer love to those that hurt me. I true. My mom and I don't talk to this day. Um, We tried to reconcile the relationship. Um, When Josh and I got together, I was sober. And one of the steps is and working the steps. Right. Like so you need to work the steps through. And um, do the hard work and offer amends to those that have hurt you, but also to those that you have hurt. And so my mom failed me growing up. She did. But I didn't, I was not nice to her. And when I got as an adult, the things that I did as an adult are my responsibility. Mm. That didn't give me permission as an adult to be so cruel to my grandparents, to my dad, to my mom. Yeah. It didn't give me permission to be that way just because I felt they abandoned me growing up. So I really wanted to um, make amends with her and reconcile that relationship. Um, 
it we, it lasted for a few years until mm-hmm. um something happened that didn't go her way and again then the brokenness came through and you know you haven't spoken since we haven't spoken since because she was so upset about something that mm-hmm. we didn't do that she wanted us to do and it's what everyone needs to understand is hurt people hurt people like Josh said in yeah. in it's not casting judgment on people. I did things to people that I'm ashamed of that I did. You know, I, I, I lost one of my best friends when I was drinking because I was getting in a fight at a bar and she came up to say, you always do this to me. You always, um, are getting in fights. And I ended up punching her in the face and we never spoke after that because I really hurt people that were in my life when I got older and, I truly didn't care about anybody. And uh, I think it's really, really important to know that my step-grandpa has passed away. He just passed away like last year or the year before. It's I been think. a few years now. Oh, I don't know. But I heard that he passed away and I had offered forgiveness to him. And, and my stepdad, I don't, I was not his kid, right? And he got, and I was stubborn and, and my mom didn't want me. So why, what would encourage him to want me, you know? And um, my dad was an alcoholic. He was sick. And it's it's just important to for you to have empathy for other people. But I want people to understand that I don't you don't you don't make excuses for the what people did to you. No. And I think that's really important. I what I'm hearing, and I think other people need to hear this, is that you you're not a victim, you're a survivor. Yeah. And I'll get emotional, but I think there's a huge difference when you're willing to take responsibility for the things that our ears take responsibility for and then let go of the things that there is no control over, which means the things that people do to you, that's not a responsibility of yours to hold on to. And I think when people hold on to that, they become the victim of those circumstances. And you made a you made a decision one time to say, I'm not going to allow these things to defeat me. Right. I'm going to grow from these things. Yeah. And how am I going to use these things to become better? Yeah. Am I hearing that right? Yes. And I think that it's important that I I am not making excuses for them. What's hard is that a lot of people, if you, if you are talking about someone maybe that has hurt you, it, they're not going to, they're not going to like to hear that either. Right. So that's why the 12 steps is so powerful because you go make amends to, to others that you have done harm to as well. You have to listen to how you hurt them. You, you have to hear their emotion and all of those things. So me talking about the things with my step grandpa, my family did, did not like that. They probably don't like it to this day. Um, that if, if they listen to the podcast and things like that, that I talk about that, but that is part of my story. God Mm -hmm. already knew it was going to be part of my story and, and he is gone now and I'm not trying to, you know, disregard his family because it is my step grandpa and my mom and my stepdad had that stepdad had divorced years ago and she's on her third marriage. So that's not technically even part of my family anymore. My blood family. So it's, it's. It's part of my story and you have to be confident in in your story, right? My stepdad was abusive to me and he is remarried. Now I know the woman that he's remarried to is someone that we had grown up with and she probably doesn't hear like to hear that, I'm sure. But that doesn't mean he's still that way either. I mean, I don't know him. I haven't been in his life for a long time. I'm talking about my story when mm-hmm. I was growing up, the things that happened to me. And that doesn't mean those people are still that way or anything. 
Um, and my dad's gone. So my dad's gone. My step grandpa's gone. My stepdad has moved on, remarried. The only thing I have left from that, and my mom and I don't talk, is my little sister that we have the same mom, right? So I communicate with her. But I do think it's really important to to embrace your story. It's mm. it's give yourself permission to to accept the realities of your story, accept that hurt, give it over to God, um, ask him to see you through that. But until you embrace your story and you can say it out loud and you can know that no matter what anyone else thinks or does out in the world or says, this is my story and no one else has to accept it or like it or agree with it. But that is what happened, you know, and um, sometimes parents, my mom probably included, she likes to maybe fluff that and over in her head. But and her and I had talked about this before we stopped talking. The reality is she never showed me love. She never it was a joke growing up with myself that I could say I love you. I never heard I love you. And I didn't hear it from my mom. I didn't hear it from my dad. Didn't hear it from my stepdad, definitely, and didn't hear it from my grandparents, who I know that they loved me. I know they loved me. They just didn't say it. And uh, they didn't want me when I moved in. And mm. it wasn't that they despised me. They were like, my grandma's a tough old bird, right? So, and I had to learn to embrace that. But she, and she was brutally honest. And she's just like, we're letting you move in because we don't want you living on the streets. That's embarrassing for a family member to live on the streets. But we've raised our kids. We had four boys. We've raised them. We don't know what to do with you. Like, you know, but they took care of me. They didn't make sure they made sure I didn't have to have a job. You know, growing up, they just wanted me to graduate high school. I had to switch high schools three times. They're like, just mm. God bless it. <laughs> graduate high school, you know, and they drove me back to back and forth to school every day. They paid for all my uh, senior pictures. They paid for my prom. They, they, they did things for me to show me that they loved me just because they didn't say it. And and now I do realize that as an adult, I had a great relationship th with them till they both recently passed in the last few years. And I do appreciate everything they did. They did for me. But um, I think it's important. I can't say it enough to embrace your story, not be embarrassed just because people get upset maybe by the realities of your story. It is because those people are broken and they maybe haven't given themselves permission to embrace their history, but then also what they've done too mm -hmm. and tried to heal from that. So with all that, okay, with your story, all the things that's happened, basically every relationship you've had with a male for the most part, not including your mom has been poor. Yeah. How do we work? Why do we work? So <laughs> I think a big reason of why we work is because of you. Um, because he had a lot of work to do when we got together. Okay. So I knew him. I, I actually knew him when I was 18. So, um, the, the guy that I was dating at the time that said I was a psycho and I needed to see a therapist was his best friend at the time. Old best friend. At the time, I said, <laughs> uh, and he was dating a girl um, and I was dating his best friend. And so I knew who who he was at that time. So he was a ladies man. He would have a girlfriend, but have other girlfriends. Right. So I knew how he was and I didn't really like him back then. So when him and I got together, it really didn't make sense. Um, God liked, has a sense of humor because I already had issues with men in general. And it's really taken me being with him for me to recognize that I don't want to be ultra defensive with men in general. Right. So if a man approaches me and tries to talk to me about something, maybe that's 
difficult or not something I want to hear, he's pointed out to me that I will like change my body language. I'll directly face shoulder face that posture up. I posture up. I get very direct. You know, I communicate differently with them. Peacock bit big, like you swell, like you're ready to go. (laughs) So I I have had to work on that because I don't want to be confrontational um, to the point where it's aggressiveness. I want to be confrontational where I'm I'm authoritative and we can handle the problem together. So that's a difference. But we work because he saw through all that. When we first got together, I didn't trust him. I questioned every single thing he did. I um, heard from my ex-husband, like, I know people that go to the same college that he goes to. Because my ex-husband wasn't happy that I left him and that I was dating somebody else either. So, right? Like, yeah, he like no. So, he would be always telling me, like, he's going to lunch with girls. Um, I have friends that know he is. You know? So, he was just implanting things in my head as well. Um, and so, in the beginning, he really made me talk about things. So we would start to get in fights about something and I would just throw my hands up and either shut down or want to leave. And he started coming to me with the exception of one or two times. He started coming to me and was like, we're better than this. Our relationship is better than this. We need to talk this out and Mm -hmm. we need to sit down and work through this together. And he made me recognize that we are better than that and we need to be better than that and we do need to and it's super hard and I was never taught that like no one dealt with anything in my family my grandparents like I could ask them I couldn't ask them questions about anything about any of our family like what's wrong with my uncle Jeff like like you <laughs> you you'd have to know my family to but I, I what where uncle Full Mike denial all the time yeah like where uncle Mike went for the majority of our lives and now he's back like that we didn't talk about things on my dad's side my mom's side we mm-hmm. didn't deal with it so I really didn't know how to have card, hard conversations and have to sit down and like be chained to the chair and talk it through yeah. when my whole body would be screaming like I just want to punch something or fight or flight yeah fight or flight and so um he really broke down the walls. He worked, Josh worked and worked and worked and worked, um, put tons of time in, tons of patience, never spoke unkindly to me, never called me names. He had to prove to me that unconditional love truly existed. I didn't know what that felt like from another person. I have it for my children. Like I had kids. I knew what that felt like, which made me kind of more angry that no one gave that to me mm. because I know what it feels like to have it for your kids. And so I didn't, I, he'd probably move a little bit further in emotionally to me. And then I'd be like, Oh yeah. Oh no, 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 no. You know? And then have to like pull away. And then over time in my healing and working the 12 steps and working with God, it really has gotten to the point where I trust what he says. I don't have to second guess it. I don't need to go into the PI mode in my head and question every single thing that's happened in the last few days uh, and do self work myself. Mm. Like, okay, that really hurt my feelings. How am I going to process this? And how are we going to talk about it together? So you've I'm actually gotten better out. at some of that stuff than I am now. It's kind of turned, you know, yeah. like you had become more patient in some of those ways. Yeah. And I think that's the power like in this, like 
I don't have the same story Christy does. I have a different story. You know, I don't come from all this abuse and I don't have those things. It's very, my upbringing is very different in a lot of ways. You know, this isn't about me, but the point is, is that I think the way that God's really, you know, trained us to be as, as partners in life is that, you know, one of us has to step up and we have to be patient and we have to be kind and loving and accepting. And sometimes that's the man and if that's the man, that's really against everything that we're taught in the world. And so uh, it's paid off in spades because I have a woman that will shank you for me. You know, like, you know, I have a woman, though, that truly trusts me and loves me for me and, uh, you know, will do anything for our marriage to keep things together. And she has a history that if you went by the math, uh, that this that would tell her that this that I'm the wrong guy, like that's the math. But God has worked in her heart and has worked in her life. And she's stood up to that every single time she's been called to do it and embraces that and is not a victim, is a victor and is a survivor and leans into growing at all costs, no matter how painful it is. And our marriage, uh, I know you say it's me, but it's her choice to rise above that. Uh, My rising above has been much easier than hers. And so the strength really comes from her. Uh, and I can feed off of that. I get a blessing out of that. I can really feed off of her strength within our marriage. But I think the core of it is that we've decided to take to our own personal growth, especially inside of our 12 steps, inside of um, you know our own recovery, but our relationship with God, and then turn that and literally apply it to our to our marriage. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I think it's just really, really important for us to remember um, that is spiritual warfare that's going on. And so I think Satan tried to, is always trying to split up families, but I think, um, not the truth. He thinking back on my story, I think he, um, is, does it, I'm not special, right? He does it to every family, but I really think that, um, he saw that my mom was trying to raise me in church, you know? And so, uh, everything at every turn, Satan tried to win. Like, um, there's a song that talks about the devil did the best he could, or the evil one did the best. He, I sing it sometimes at CR, but look at me now. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you're singing to God about it. And I really look back on my story now with how much Satan evil was involved in all of that and brokenness and unhealing was involved in that. And now, because I went through all of that, God, redeeming grace Mm. is I am built for war. I am built to be a soldier for God. I am built to withstand the test of time. Mm. I am built for that. And so God, Satan took your best shot and he won. Mm. I'm tough. Oh, you're, (laughs) you call your grandma tough bird almost laughed. (laughs) I'm like your grandma has nothing on you. Yeah. Because you're not just tough like that. You're loving along with it. Yeah. And that's special. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That's why God won. That's why God continues to win. And I want to win more people to Jesus. So the devil lost. What advice would you give to a couple that has a woman that has suffered greatly? And how can, what advice can you give this woman, this man, this couple that really could help them get through this? I think that you um, need to recognize that you have been hurt. It's it's 
Don't wallow in that though, you know, recognize it and say, Hey, these things happened to me in the past and they tried to break me down and I'm not going to get wore down. God Mm -hmm. is going to redeem us and redeem my story and he can pay back tenfold what was taken. Um, he can make such a difference and impact inside of you if you just let him in Mm. and uh, heal all of those things. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. The washing over of forgiveness and grace that he offers uh, when you give it all to him. And, And just know, I really do think it starts with accepting your story instead of walking around saying like, this shouldn't have happened to me. This shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened. You know, I'm mad and I'm mean and I'm coarse because all of these things happened to me and that shouldn't have happened. And this is the way I deserve to act. I really think that you need to accept that it happened to you, accept that broken people hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. Um, know that God already knew that was going to be part of your story and that he can redeem it. And you can be a powerhouse in your marriage for your spouse, for your husband. Um, you can really lift him up when he thinks that he needs to be carrying the weight of the family. Uh, you can help bear that burden with him and be Mm. an example for God, for your husband, but really Take your marriage and have your marriage make an impact on other marriages. And don't let Satan divide marriages anymore. Like, don't let him split you guys up and have distrust and chaos in your marriage. And a lot of that stems from, you know, unhealing. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for asking me yeah, to. Of course. Babe. I think there's so much power in having a good, solid understanding of how God can work. And we don't come from perfect backgrounds. You know, some of us come from really ugly backgrounds, but something that's beautiful to see is in the Bible, we get to see the end of the story, you know, and I get to live in an amazing relationship now because of the hard work that my wife has put in about not being a victim of the circumstances, not allowing the enemy to win, but leaning into God and the strength that he offers and applying that to the marriage that I get to be in. I mean, I get to be a witness to this and I get to be part of this amazing story as it develops. And every day is not perfect with us, but every day we know that we love each other and that we're working hard to make tomorrow better. Mm. And so I pray that you found a blessing off of this message. I, I pray that, you know, if, you, if you're struggling with something, seek help. You know, if suicide is something that you're contemplating, please reach out. You know, we're going to put a phone number down below here uh, after we get off. We'll make sure that there's a, a contact information if you're struggling with something like that. Uh, don't take that lightly. It's something that's very serious. You know, it's it's not anything to be played with. If you've struggled with abuse in the past, um, sweeping it under the rug is not the solution. I mean, right. if my wife hasn't expressed that enough, you know, I really want you to understand seeking help is so important. Finding a, a good, solid group, celebrate recovery, which is a Christian recovery program. It's perfect. You don't have to have alcohol issues or drug issues to join something like that, but to be able to talk or your pastor in your church or, you know, a good Christian therapist is somebody that you can get connected with. But ultimately understand like what, what Christy said is that we all have a story and are you willing to embrace that? And if you are, then work with it and through it with your spouse because mm. your marriage your marriage will grow stronger, so much stronger because of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, very. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next Tuesday at 7. Bye.